Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. Konnichiwa, Nikki Young here, back with my new true crime podcast, Serial Napper. All right, so (laughs) before I get into it, um, a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful listener let me know that my intro music is a little bit louder than my voice, and I scared the shit out of them (laughs) when they were listening to my podcast, trying to sleep. So I am so sorry for anybody, um, whoever I may have scared. I'm sure she is not alone in that. I did try to fix my audio for this episode, um, but I'm still super new at this, so I hope it worked. And if it didn't, I will definitely give it another try. <laughs> I always want to um, make it as good as possible as I can for you because I listen to podcasts all the time, especially when I'm going to sleep. And, um, you know, I want to make it some some easy listening as, as much as I can. Um, I may actually end up getting some new intro music. And uh, that's just because when I first started this podcast a little over a month ago, I literally just put together some sounds that I thought sounded good. You know, like the cassette player, kind of like putting a cassette in kind of brings me back to like some retro type vibes. And then just something I thought was a catchy beat. Um, But maybe I will look into getting a different intro. We shall see. Um, Because I'm, I'm definitely taking this more seriously and I've been producing a lot more content. Um, But yeah, please keep the feedback coming. Please don't ever feel like you cannot give me feedback because I love it as long as it's constructive and you're not an asshole. So here we go. A few days ago, I received my very first true crime subscription box from Just Killin' Time. I don't know if you've heard of it. I had given one away recently. Um, And no, this episode isn't sponsored by them. Um, I just want to send some mega love their way because it is badass. I loved everything that I received. There were so many goodies and I'm going to do a live unboxing this week. I think this week on my Facebook page. So stay tuned. It also made me realize that I don't know as many serial killers as I think I do, but it was a lot of fun to dig into all these new names and take some time to learn about them. One of the people I wasn't aware of that I am now incredibly aware of is the subject of tonight's case. This is a prolific serial killer from the UK. So if you're from the UK, I'm gonna assume you've probably heard of him. And if you're from North America like me, maybe not. When it comes to the number of people killed, this guy tops the list. 
Tonight, we're talking about Harold Shipman, a doctor in England who killed over 200 of his patients before he was finally arrested in 1998. Before we get to that, I want to send lots of love and light to the U.S. and offer up my support. I've said it before, but as a white woman, I can't possibly understand, but I still stand with you. I'm hoping change is brought about soon, and with it, I hope comes a little bit of peace. That's all I'm really going to say at this time. I know many of you are holding on to your podcasts with everything that you have because it's an escape from reality, and I want to make sure I'm able to give you that. Have you ever noticed that it's often people who suffer from anxiety that see true crime as an escape? I read that to many, it's kind of like exposure therapy. So by facing all of these horrible things, you learn to be less afraid, which can oftentimes be healing. Now, I have no idea how true that is, but it has worked quite well for me. So that's my spiel for tonight. Let's hop into the case. This is one of those cases where you kind of wonder if it was nature or nurture. Was he simply born this way, or was it the way he was brought up? Let me know what you think when you're done listening to this case. Harold Shipman was born January 14, 1946, in Nottingham, England. He was the second of three children of Harold Frederick Shipman, who worked as a truck driver in Vera, Britain. He was known as Fred, as his middle name was Frederick. They were definitely a middle-class working family, They made enough money to not have to struggle, but the father worked really hard to provide for the family. In school, he did really well. He played rugby, he excelled as a distance runner, and in his final year at school, he served as vice captain of the athletics team. He was highly focused on his academics and high achievements, and he just didn't have much time or desire to have friends. It was said that Fred's mother favored him over his other two siblings, and this kind of left him with the feeling that he was better than other people. So obviously, because of this kind of attitude, he really did have difficulty making new friends as a child, and there was a bit of tension between the siblings. Overall, he was just extremely close to his mom, who had really high hopes for him. His sister had left home at 15, and his younger brother didn't appear to be as bright as Fred, so she put much of her focus on Fred. Unfortunately, when he was 17 years old, his mother passed away from terminal lung cancer. He actually spent a lot of time watching the doctor care for his mother, giving her morphine when she was in pain, and seeing how it would calm and relax her as she struggled to live. It's said that this is why he decided he would go to medical school and become a doctor. Before enrolling in medical school on November 5th, 1966, Shipman married Primrose May Oxtoby. He was 19, and they were married when she was only 17 and five months pregnant with their first child. They would go on to have four children altogether. In 1970, he was admitted to Leeds University Medical School for training two years later, having failed his entrance exams the first time around. In 1974, he took his first position as a general practitioner, and initially he thrived as a family practitioner. 
Unfortunately, within the first year of his practice, he became addicted to the painkiller pethidine. He forged prescriptions for large amounts of the drug, and he was forced to leave the practice when one of his medical colleagues caught him in 1975. In my opinion, this came with a small slap on the wrist. He entered a drug rehab program, he received a small fine, and a conviction for forgery. But somehow, he was still able to continue practicing medicine after this. I had no idea that this was a thing that happened in the UK. Maybe it was, you know, something that happened more so back then, or maybe it's just something in the UK, but it doesn't seem like a good idea to give a recovering drug addict access to unlimited drugs that he can prescribe himself. In 1977, two years after he was caught prescribing himself drugs, he became a GP at Donnybrook Medical Center, and he worked there until 1993 when he established his own surgery practice. Overall, he seemed like he was well-liked by his colleagues. Um, he was seen to be a very esteemed individual in the community. Things seemed normal. They appeared normal, typical, quiet, and while there may have been a whisper here and there, nobody had any idea of what kind of horror was really happening. Among those whispers was Deborah Massey, who was director at the Frank Massey and Sons Funeral Parlor, and John Pollard, a local coroner. They had noticed a high death rate among Shipman's patients, particularly the number of elderly women who were being quickly cremated. In March of 1998, Linda Reynolds, another local GP, in conjunction with the funeral director and the coroner, brought the matter to the attention of the police. This would be referred to as the failed investigation. This is the food subscription service I've been waiting for. Individual servings of fresh, never-frozen meals ready to go in just two minutes so that I can enjoy a restaurant-quality meal without having to go out. I received my first order of Factors Delicious Ready-to-Eat Meals yesterday, and I'm thoroughly impressed. I went with their vegan plus veggie plan because I've been trying to add more vegetables to my day, but they have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. The vegan mushroom marsala to die for. So fresh and flavorful, and all I had to do was pop it in the oven for 5 minutes before eating. I'm all about convenience and eating on the go because I have a really busy schedule, but I don't want to eat fast food every day. Factors meals are perfectly portioned for me and ready to heat without prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. And the math is mathing. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. They also offer flexible plans that allow you to choose your meals every week and pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime you need to. And now you, my listeners, have the opportunity to try Factor's restaurant-quality meals at a great deal. Head to factormeals.com slash napper50 and use code napper50 to get 50% off. That's code NAPPER50 at factormeals.com slash NAPPER50 to get 50% off. 
I love to travel. From the bustling city of Tokyo to the beaches of Thailand, there's nothing I enjoy more than getting the chance to see the world and experience different cultures firsthand. But the language barrier, it can be an issue. Sure, you can use an app on your phone, but things often get lost in translation. I truly believe that learning at least some of the language of the land that you're visiting is the first step to ensuring a smooth and meaningful experience. That's why I'm excited about Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language that you want to learn. Rosetta Stone has been the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Japanese, Spanish, German, Korean, Italian, and more. Learning a new language can be tough especially with all of the different nuances. But Rosetta Stone is designed to help you speak like a local, so you'll feel confident in what you're saying. I don't know how many times I've been traveling to a new country and struggled to get my point across just because I wasn't properly pronouncing something that I thought I knew, which is why I love Rosetta Stone's built-in true accent feature, which helps you master your accent. They also have convenient desktop and app options so you can learn on the go. Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership includes all 25 languages. So once you're finished learning one language, you can start on another. Whether you're an avid traveler like me or just want to impress your friends with a new skill, it's a steal of a deal at 50% off. That's right. 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. It only took police about an hour to look into things and come back and say there was no evidence to back up their information and that they should be careful when saying such things about such a pillar of the community like Shipman was. This was such a huge mistake on the part of the police, and because nothing was done at this time, Shipman would carry on. In fact, he would go on to kill three more patients after this initial complaint. His final victim would be Kathleen Grundy, and her daughter Angela Woodruff was the one to put an end to it all. Kathleen was a wealthy 81-year-old widow who was found dead in her home on June 24th 1998, following an earlier visit by Shipman. Shipman went on to say that an autopsy of Kathleen was not required, and so, according to her wishes, she was buried. However, Kathleen's daughter Angela, who was a lawyer, found a huge red flag that kick-started the investigation again. It was Angela who was responsible for handling her mother's affairs after death, and she was floored when she learned that there was a will created that left the bulk of her mother's estate to Dr. Shipman and excluded her and her children. I mean, he was her doctor, <laughs> but the two were not close and there would be no reason for Dr. Shipman to be the beneficiary. 
Upon closer review, the will appeared to be forged, and apparently it was a really shitty forgery at that. It was at this time that Angela knew something more sinister was at play. Believing that Shipman had potentially murdered her mother and forged a will, she contacted police. And after the police spoke with a local undertaker, they heard stories that were initially brought forward, but ignored. The high number of deaths. The high number of cremations. The body of Kathleen was exhumed, and a post-mortem revealed that she had died of a morphine overdose, administered within three hours of her death, precisely within the time frame of Shipman's visit to her. Shipman claimed that she was an addict. Yeah, she was an 81-year-old morphine addict. And he showed them comments he had written to that effect in his medical journal. However, examination of his computer showed that they were written after her death. He also claimed that he had never seen Kathleen's will, but in fact, his fingerprint was found on it. So, as you can imagine, shit was about to hit the fan for Shipman. His home was raided. They took all of his medical records, an odd collection of jewelry that didn't appear to be his, and an old typewriter, which later proved to be used to forge the will. And what was his excuse? Kathleen had borrowed the typewriter. Isn't that convenient? The police then investigated other deaths Shipman had certified. They discovered a pattern of his administering lethal doses of diamorphine, signing patients' death certificates, and then falsifying medical records to indicate that they had been in poor health. Then, having them cremated immediately if possible to avoid detection. Upon talking to families from former patients of Shipman, there was much of the same story. Although their family members were elderly, they did appear to be in good health when they died suddenly after seeing Dr. Shipman. But the community stood behind Dr. Shipman. He was a doctor for many people who lived there, and they thought he was a respectable doctor who cared for them. Honestly, it kind of made me think of my own elderly family members and the love and trust that they have for their doctors. These are some of the most vulnerable people in our world, and they often listen and go along with whatever the doctor is telling them because in their eyes, the doctor knows what is best. It's probable that he chose the elderly specifically because many wouldn't have noticed. They were elderly, they were old, and elderly people are expected to die within the somewhat near future. And while many serial killers need to find creative ways to dispose of the bodies, he actually had the medical field disposing of the bodies for him. Think about it. They would come in, carry them out to the morgue, cremate them, bury them, and it mostly went unnoticed. It's incredibly sad. The way in which many of his victims were found is also really sad. Most of them were found by their family members. They were fully clothed, sitting up in their chairs, in their living rooms, sitting up on their bed, as if they had just died suddenly. In the medical notes, Dr. Shipman would often claim that they had heart conditions that caused them to have heart attacks. But this wasn't the case, and it was time to go to court. Following extensive investigations, which included numerous exhumations and autopsies, 
the police charged Shipman with 15 individual counts of murder on September 7, 1998, as well as one count of forgery. They suspected that there were so many more cases, but they only brought forward those that they were confident they had enough evidence to prove. The prosecution asserted that Shipman had killed the 15 patients because he enjoyed exercise and control over life and death, and dismissed any claims that he had been acting compassionately, as none of his victims were suffering a terminal illness. And of course, Shipman consistently denied his guilt, disputing the scientific evidence against him. He never made any public statements about his actions, and his wife, Primrose, she steadfastly maintained her husband's innocence, even after he was convicted. Thankfully, the jury saw him for who he truly was. He was found to have a total lack of compassion, an absolute disregard for the wishes of relatives, and reluctance to attempt to revive these patients. He would actually pretend to call the emergency services in front of the relatives, then cancel the call out when the patient was discovered to be dead. Telephone records showed that no actual calls were made. A jury unanimously found Shipman guilty on all charges, 15 counts of murder and one of forgery on the afternoon of January 31, 2000. The judge passed 15 life sentences, as well as a four-year sentence for forgery, which he commuted to a whole life sentence, effectively removing any possibility of parole. Shipman was incarcerated at Durham Prison. Now, at the same time, a clinical audit was conducted by Professor Richard Baker of the University of Leicester, who examined the number and pattern of deaths in Shipman's practice and compared them with those of other practitioners. The audit goes on to estimate that he may have been responsible for the deaths of at least 236 patients over a 24-year period. In fact, he may have taken his first victim within months of obtaining his license to practice medicine. The first victim, 67-year-old Margaret Thompson, who died in March 1971 while recovering from a stroke. Deaths prior to 1975, unfortunately, were never proven. He remained at Durham Prison throughout these investigations, of course, maintaining his innocence the entire time, and was staunchly defended by his wife, Primrose, and his family. Eventually, he was moved to Wakefield Prison in June 2003, and this would be his final resting place. On January 13th, 2004, Shipman was discovered hanging in his prison cell at Wakefield, having used bedsheets tied to the window bars of his cell. This happened on the eve of his 58th birthday, and while many celebrated, some of the victim's families said they felt cheated. They would never know the full extent of what he did or why he did it. Shipman's motive for suicide was never established, though, he reportedly told his probation officer that he was considering suicide to assure his wife's financial security after he was stripped of his pension. Primrose Shipman, his wife, received a full pension that she would have otherwise not received if he had lived past 60. So yeah, I'd say that's likely a big reason that he did it. Also, if he was so focused on killing fragile elderly people, 
He's a complete coward, so this surprises me 0%. He didn't want to face the music. Shipman is the only doctor in the history of British medicine found guilty of murdering his patients. As of early 2009, families of over 200 of the victims of Shipman were still seeking compensation for the loss of their relatives. I guess there is a bit of glimmer of hope in this because the Shipman case brought about some big changes to standard medicine procedures in Britain. Many doctors reported changes in their dispensing practices. Death certification practices were altered as well. The largest change was the movement from single doctor general practices to multiple doctor general practices to ensure more safeguarding and monitoring of doctors' decisions. So, what do you think? Do you think Shipman was simply born a piece of wet lettuce who clearly had a god complex? Or do you think watching his mother suffer and eventually die somehow did something to him? Maybe it made him snap. Maybe he felt like he was doing these elderly patients a favor in some absolutely sick and twisted way. I would love to hear what you think, so hop on over to social media and let me know. That's it for tonight. If you like this episode or this podcast, I would super appreciate your reviews. Review me on whatever platform you are listening on. You guys rock. If you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash serial napper that's s-e-r-i-a-l-n-a-p-p-e-r if you're on apple just search serial napper spotify you don't need a premium account to listen to podcasts which is good news because i hear joe rogan is moving over there and i love him just search serial napper i'm also now on twitter so go ahead i am twitter.com slash serial underscore napper Until next time, don't be a Dahmer. Bye.